Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined as always by David Lake. David, how you doing today? Getting ready for uh, Dorian to come your way or what? Yeah, I just, I literally just left Publix, uh, got some bottled waters, got some <laughs> Ritz crackers, all that non-perishable stuff. So I'll be as ready as I can be and hopefully everyone out there stays safe and you know, takes this thing seriously because it looks like it could be a, a nasty hurricane. Yeah, I mean, you're on the other side of the state and you're already stocking up, man. I'm, yeah. I've done zero prep. I mean, I'm leaving town, but I've done zero prep. So I guess I'm <laughs> a true Floridian. Yeah, you're, you'll be fine. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess, you know, we're, I guess, five, six days removed from this Florida game. It seems like this game has been talked about more than any other football game Miami's played, at least in recent memory, just because it fell on week zero. Uh, it was against rival Florida. It was a close game. There were so many different storylines that came out of it. Um, before we kind of dive into that and put this thing to bed and, and shift towards the rest of the season, I just wanted to hit on a few quick recruiting notes. Um, I know fans are always kind of asking about that. They wanted those kind of reactions coming out of uh, the Miami-Florida game just because so many uh, the two schools have so many targets. So the first one I wanted to touch on, Isaiah Walker, the top 24-7 offensive tackle uh, out of Miami, Norland. I went and spent some time with him at his school on Tuesday. You know, I think anytime you can get a chance to talk with a kid one-on-one, face-to-face, it's way better than electronically. And the read I kind of got on him is, is Florida's the team to beat right now. I know he came uh, out, of that, out of that game and told everyone that Florida leads. I think uh, it's not time to write Miami off. I think this is kind of a two-team battle. I would definitely give uh, the nod right now to the Gators. Um, but this one doesn't seem like it's over. I think a lot of the recruiting media kind of agrees with me, hence why we haven't seen all the pred- uh, predictions for the Gators roll in on the 24-7 sports crystal ball. So uh, that's one I wanted to touch on. And David, I know you think having watched the offensive line play uh, this past Saturday, he's a guy who probably could step in and, and provide some help right away. I definitely think so. He's, you know, it's very rare and you can't really expect many true freshmen to come in and, and play right away on the offensive line. But, you know, Miami has two things going for it. Number one, they just they don't have the guys, it appears right now to get the job done. And Isaiah Walker is very talented. So I think with that combination, you know, especially if he does enroll early, is that his plan, Andrew? Is he an early enrollee? Yeah, so that's the plan. So he's he's planning to attend. I think he's going to do another Florida, uh, Florida game, probably up in Gainesville. Also going to get to Miami, Florida, and, and Tallahassee, and then probably multiple games at uh, at Hard Rock Stadium before taking some official visits and, and deciding right before that early signing period. So yeah, he's a guy who's going to be on campus right away. Yeah, so you know, I think if if he does decide to go to Miami and he's there in the spring and summer, I would expect him honestly to be a starter game one. Um, and you know, I think maybe. You know, I don't think necessarily it's a message to Isaiah Walker, but the fact that Manny Diaz is willing to start John Campbell and Zion Nelson against a team like Florida, it does send a message to recruits like, hey, you come to Miami, you show us you're good enough to get on the field, you'll get on the field and possibly even start. 
I think the only issue, though, is I think Isaiah Walker probably would have started for Florida uh, yeah. on Saturday night, too. I mean, they both kind of have uh, offensive line issues. That was very glaring. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I know Florida State, you feel like it is kind of a third-place team there. but well, he said they were, yeah. I mean, right. So and, you know, three. they're going to have issues on the O-line, too. So he could presumably go to Florida State and start there as well. So, you know, I think that's a huge... Like when you look at what Miami has to do to get back to competing on a championship level, you got to address the O-line. You got to make sure your quarterback is is a good player. And, you know, I think you feel good about we'll we'll talk about it more, but you feel good about what you see from Jaron being such a young guy and and now they need to kind of address the offensive line. One other quick recruiting nugget before we get into this game, Darnell Washington, the five-star tight end out of Las Vegas came out with a top three on Monday night, and it quickly shifted back to a top five. Uh, Miami was in both of them. Alabama was the notable omission from the first, quote-unquote, top three he released. Uh, Then he put Alabama later in it. Tennessee and Georgia also in in that top five, along with Penn State. Uh, This is, we talked about him, or I guess we wrote a lot about him coming out of Paradise Camp. He was on campus. It's like LeBron James playing tight end. I mean, he's a 6'8" physical freak that can catch the ball went through a gauntlet of defensive backs but uh good news if you're a Miami fan that he's put it uh put the Hurricanes in his top group I mean he said all along that the plan is to return to Coral Gables for an official visit and it seems like everything's status quo there I think Miami's probably gonna have to have uh a 10 win season to to pull a guy like him but you gotta like the fact that he put Miami in there uh, after the Florida game where, when Brevin Jordan was featured a lot. So uh, uh, some, some good news right there, I think, for, for Hurricanes fans. When would you expect him to take the official visit? Do you think it'll be like for a game, or do you feel like, like I know the Mark Rick regime kind of preferred guys to visit in maybe December? Uh, I, 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 think, I think it's going to be closer to that, that December uh, window when he's about to make a decision. The good thing if you're Miami right now is you've already gotten Darnell Washington on campus twice unofficially, which is pretty rare. I mean, I don't even think Brevin Jordan, uh, maybe he did. Brevin Jordan visited once on his own dime uh, before taking an official visit. So the fact that he's been here twice, once for spring practice, once for paradise camp, I think shows a lot. Now you're going to get him out here uh, for a third time. But I expect it to be much closer uh, to the Under Armour All-American game, which is when he, he claims that he's going to be making a decision. And, you know, this thing's a long ways away from being anywhere <laughs> close to being decided. But if you were to guess, like, who would you say is kind of the team to beat right now? I, I think it's definitely Georgia. Uh, Todd Hartley, the former Miami assistant coach, he's there. We all know how well of a recruiter he is. Darnell's also been to Athens multiple times. So uh, the crystal ball has, has shifted in favor of Georgia here in the past, I guess, really 36 hours. And I'm not surprised. I mean, if I had a crystal ball pick log right now, I think it would be for Georgia. So we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, Miami uses the tight end a lot. So uh, that, that's one advantage they have going for them. And then, you know, if, you know, let's say Miami is not able to end up getting Darnell, they currently have Dom Mamarelli committed from Naples, Naples High School. Is that going to be it? At tight end for the class, do you think they call it a class with Dom and move on to 2021, or do you feel like they might try and chase somebody late? Uh, I think you're, there's always a chance that they go after someone late, especially if they're in 
if, if it's a good season. I mean, I think the most realistic scenario right now is probably they call it one and then go for two in the in the 2021 class because they already got Khalil Brantley committed, who me and you have said has some similar Brevin Jordan traits uh, to his game. So I think he's someone that they would they would take and then maybe go find uh, a bigger guy who is more of a traditional tight end. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. Like, I, I saw Darnell, of course, at, at the Paradise Camp, and he was extremely impressive. I think he's a guy that you you definitely just you got to play the game with and and recruit him this this whole process and see how it shakes out. So, you know, I, I kind of agree with the philosophy of, you know, they have their guy committed in Dom, and then they're going to take swings at at these big time guys for the rest of the season. And like you said if Miami does end up having a, a good season, then I could definitely see them kind of landing a guy like Darnell. But, you know, if they don't, like, like you said, if they don't hit that 10 win mark, I don't know if their chances are going to be that good. I like to call those recruits unicorns. Some, someone in, on staff described them as a unicorn, and that's kind of my new thing moving forward. You know, yeah, they have their numbers in place, but if you can pull one of these guys, you're absolutely going to try. All right, let's shift over towards this game. Uh, David, you wrote something on it's either Sunday or Monday. I can't remember, but I thought it was one of the best content items. And I know I'm biased, but uh, kind of out of any site or anyone that put out there. And it was the five things you liked from the game, the five things you didn't like from the game. Um, let's just kind of run through those. The first one, you said DJ Dallas being a dude. I rewatched uh, the game in a condensed version uh, yesterday. And I agree, man. He made some plays in that game where it's like, wow, the one-handed catch. Um, anytime he was running really out of that wildcat, I think yeah. he, he, he was a dude. And I, I think I'd said it on this podcast. I know I'd said it a few times on the radio. I'd heard it from multiple times from just people in that locker room that they thought DJ was, was going to be a guy they could rely on. And I think he's someone that's going to be the workhorse of this offense this season. Yeah, I mean, when, when DJ broke the 50-yard touchdown run out of the Wildcat and Miami took the lead, my mind immediately went to, you know, Miami fans know, like, Santana Moss is famous for that, that quote of, of saying, you know, big-time players step up in big-time games and make big-time plays. And if Miami was able to pull that game out with a win, then I think DJ kind of gets vaulted into that echelon of, Miami players who have stepped up in big time games, uh, you know, and at that point it looked like it might it might have been trending that way. Now, obviously, Miami didn't pull out the win, so maybe, you know, we everyone recognizes DJ had a strong game, but maybe it doesn't get the pub it should. Um, he was definitely big time in that game. He was extremely productive out of the Wildcat, and like you said, on the screenplays he. You know, he's going to be a weapon for Dan Enos in this offense on those screenplays because that's something he wants to do. And and it also helps out the offensive line. So I think you got to be excited about DJ. That's going to be the best run defense Miami sees all season. And, you know, I think he's poised to have a big year. You mentioned that Wildcat. And uh, this is a note I actually had for later in the podcast, but I wanted to bring it up. Uh I started thinking about why is that Wildcat so successful? And I think it really, what it really is, I mean, obviously DJ hits that hole pretty hard, but you also got to remember that's this, when he goes in between the tackles, that's the strength of Miami's line. I mean, you got DJ Scape there, Corey Gaynor, and Navon Donaldson. And it seemed like I think one or two of the Wildcat runs, he eventually bounced outside. But 
it makes complete sense to have that package in there, especially in short yardage situations, just because he's running behind your top, I guess, two or three run blockers. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think also, too, you know, dating back to when DJ was in high school, he was a quarterback, right? And that's essentially what he did as a quarterback. He was kind of a running guy. So I think he's comfortable in that situation. And you can see the patience he has in the Wildcat to find the right crease and hit it. Um, So yeah, I think it's a combination of both those things, strength of the O-line, and it's just something that DJ is good at. Second thing you like from the game, this is one I agree completely about. Miami's fight in the first half. Uh, After that opening drive, when when they connected on the field goal, and then Florida had the Kadarius Tony long touchdown run where there was a few missed tackles. I mean, it seemed like there was a chance this team was going to shut down. All of a sudden, Scott Patchen comes out of the out of the scrum with the football, and, and Miami kind of really found its footing. I agree. I think just given how the LSU game went last year, given how a ton of games on that schedule went, it was it was refreshing to see um, that sideline kind of fight and compete. And I think we have talked about this off the air in the past. It seems like last season that defensive staff was. Every time they're put in a bad spot, they would do whatever they could and celebrate even getting a stop where they're forcing a field goal and not giving up a touchdown. It just seems like that energy has transferred to the entire sideline and and everyone's kind of viewing it like that. No doubt. In that first quarter, there was between both teams, there was so many swings like Miami comes out and and connects on a big punch, I thought, with the first drive like they showed, Okay, our offense is going to be better. And they made that field goal. Then, then on, on the next possession, Miami forces a three and out. And Florida kind of got caught. Florida caught Miami sleeping with the fake punt and ended up getting a first down. And then that snowballed into that touchdown. And things really felt bad with Miami at that point um, as they had to as they had to punt the ball on their next possession. And then Florida was working the ball down the field efficiently and then the Scott Patchen play the fumble recovery just proved to be huge because I think Florida was poised to go up 14 to 3 on that drive and I think if they do get that 14 to 3 lead I think we're seeing it totally yeah it's gonna it's gonna be ugly and you know that play kind of energized the sideline and and woke Miami back up and from that point until I don't know, man, like until like the third midway through the third quarter, Miami dominated that game like Miami was winning the game at that stage. And like you said, like Manny has said he wants to change the culture. And and that's part of the change that needs to happen is is continuing to fight in these big time games against big time opponents. And they definitely showed that against Florida. Now, they couldn't finish it at the end. And, you know, I've alluded to, I think that's just something this young team has to learn how to do, particularly on offense. And, and if they get there during the course of the season, they're going to be a dangerous team by the end of the year. The third thing that you like from the game, Jaron Williams' pocket presence. Um, again, I, re- I rewatched the game. I-, I agree. His pocket presence was pretty good, given the bullets that were flying there. I mean, he got very limited help from Zion Nelson and John Campbell. Yeah. Zion, uh, we, we've stated this and we've written it. I mean, he had one of the worst pro football ratings I've ever seen. I mean, a score of 1.7 in his past protection sets. 
on a scale right. of 100. I mean, it, it was bad. But I think Dan Enos had hinted that he's a lot more mobile than most people had thought. And he had that one rush where he picked up the first down and, and slid on the sidelines. I agree. I think he's, he's elusive. Maybe he just needs to do a better job of getting his eyes downfield once that pocket breaks down and he starts moving. Right, which I think comes with time. And look, I understand why Dan Enos was nitpicking him, saying he needs to improve his pocket posture. Uh, but I think there was times where Jaron did show the willingness to step up in the pocket or to slide inside the pocket and buy time. So I think that's there. It's just, you know, I think to a certain extent, it's human nature when you're just constantly under a barrage of pressure to start watching the pass rush. And he was doing that. Um, but overall, I think he showed he has the willingness to stand in the pocket and deliver shots. And once he, once he catches up to the speed of the game, and quite frankly, once defenses uh, slow down in terms of like Florida plays really fast on defense, and I don't know if they're necessarily going to see that moving forward. So defenses will slow down, and I think he'll be able to get the ball out quicker than we saw against Florida. Question I have for you, and I'm not calling for a quarterback change or, or anything like that. I mean, how different do you think it would have been with Nikosi in there? I mean, I think it would have been probably yeah. more sacks, correct? Well, I don't know about more sacks. The thing I would worry about with Nikosi is is the interceptions, right? So I think yeah. I think he would have maybe forced some things downfield where maybe he shouldn't have. And I think that's when interceptions come into play, uh, which obviously Jaron didn't get picked off. Um, and that was a huge plus for, for him in that game. So, you know, the sacks thing, I don't know. I mean, 10 is a lot. So, I, I mean, I don't know if Nikosi would have gotten sacked more, but I think, I think there's the potential of more interceptions happening if Nikosi played. Final two things you like, and we can kind of pair these ones together. Brevin Jordan taking the next step. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. Um, he made the all-ACC preseason team. Everyone talks about his talent, but he's really never had a consistent start-to-finish type of game. I mean, he has, but we haven't seen this on a consistent basis. He was excellent uh, yeah. against the Gators, especially in the first half. And then once, one thing that I don't think a lot of people are talking about at all, and after re-watching it, I agree wholeheartedly here, is John Ford and Pat Bethel inside. I thought they played a, a very good game, specifically John Ford. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, Brevin, we saw, like, I've always, I've always kind of alluded to him being a type of tight end that's almost like a big running back after the catch because he is shifty, he runs strong, and he can break a tackle or two if you get him the ball in space. And we saw that on that first drive. Like, Miami found ways to get him the ball in space, and he picked up yards after the catch. And then, of course, his touchdown pass was was very nice as he caught the ball, ran through a safety, and got to the end zone. Um, and yeah, John Ford, Pat Bethel, I think you know that was kind of one of the question marks of the defense going into that game. And I think they answered the call. Um, you know, They really just mucked things up on the inside and, and made it very difficult for Florida to run the ball with any consistency inside. And you know, they're very active. Are they pass rushing guys? I don't think so at all, but I don't think they really need to be. Um, I think if they can just be consistent against the run, you feel good about that. 
Florida only ran for 1.8 yards per rush attempt, and Miami only had one sack, so it wasn't like there was a bunch of sack yardage taken into account. I think there was only three runs over 10 yards. I, it was a very impressive effort for that front seven, and I do think it really did start with those two guys in the middle. Yeah, were you surprised that, I mean, Chigoze, the UCLA transfer, Chigoze and Aruka, really didn't get much playing time, like 14 snaps? Did that surprise you at all? or? It did. And I think Trayvon Hill was a similar number as well, right? Yeah. It was right around that 15 mark. I, I just think what I don't get about Miami, and we've talked about this, I know me and you, is some of the defensive substitutions I just can't understand. Like, they, they don't want to really rotate the defensive line, but they'll rotate the safeties and, and the corners and the linebackers. It just, at times, it doesn't make sense to me. So, yes, I, I was a little surprised, but those two guys played well. And I think Chigozi and, and Trayvon are guys that are just going to be worked into this defense more and more as they're more comfortable and, and up to speed yeah. with everything. I think just in this Florida game, particularly, it was just kind of like we're going with our veterans that we trust and know. And, you know, guys like Chigoze and Trevon Hill are veterans. But, you know, this staff is, hasn't hadn't coached them yet in a real game. So I think moving forward, you're going to see much more of a rotation on the defensive line. And I think that's going to benefit everyone. Let's talk about some of the things you didn't like. Uh, the first one, I think he could just have his own. He had his own slide. Jeff Thomas, <laughs> you said the drops. And I think that's two drops that we're talking about the muff punt. Yeah and the uh, drop in the end zone. And I know you told me right away after the game when we were walking out of the stadium, you know, Jeff Thomas is the real deal. He pulls down that ball that, that Jaron Williams put right no down in the corner of the end, in end zone. And I, I, I wholeheart, I mean, I, I agree. Jeff no Thomas doubt. needs to make that play. Right. I mean, you know, and, and honestly, that's what it takes to win that type of game. Like, it's not going to be easy. Um, it's going to be a bunch of, who it's going to be who wins these bang bang plays and that was definitely a bang bang play on the on the potential touchdown and quite frankly and Manny kind of hinted that too in the press conference that like look if if Miami gets a touchdown on that drive and they go up 10 you know Manny said he kind of felt like they were in a position to win that game because then Florida has to start throwing the ball and that's not a position that Florida Dan Mullen wanted Felipe Franks in, you could tell, during the course of that game. So I think if Jeff catches that ball, we're talking about a different result. And that's, that's tough, um, but I think that's the reality. Does, does Amon Richards make that catch? Yes, all day. I, I wonder if KJ can make that catch i think he can i'm not sure if he can get the separation on cj henderson that we saw that jeff got um but i think kj probably makes that catch too you know and again it was a tough catch there's no doubt but like if you're a guy if your hopes are to play in the nfl like i mean they nfl receivers have to make that catch multiple times during a game so you know hopefully jeff can learn from that and move on and, and improve and I'm interested to see how he does bounce back against North Carolina. Well, that's another one of our points. You, you mentioned the special teams errors. I, I wonder if he's going to return punts here moving forward. I mean, right. I, I haven't seen this, but someone was telling me that KJ Osborne was a very good punt returner. And I, I, I don't know. I haven't looked into this, so uh, this is hearsay. But he was a good punt returner at Buffalo. I mean, I think I know Jeff busted one against Virginia Tech last year. But geez, man, just get someone back there that can catch the ball. I agree. And, and, you know, 
I asked Manny at the press conference this week following the game. And, you know, I think it was questionable. And personally, I thought Jeff should have tried to catch it. Like, it was probably a ball that was going to land at the 11 or 12-yard line. So I think you do have to catch that as a punt returner. But I asked Manny just for his thoughts. Like, after watching the tape, would you have preferred Jeff to let that ball go? And maybe, hopefully, best-case scenario, bounce in the end zone. And he said, you know, no, I wanted Jeff to catch that. Like, he felt like if that ball dropped and hit the ground, then Florida would have had him pinned, you know, within the five-yard line. So, which I agree with. I think that's, that's fair and true. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, that was a reason why Braxton Berrios was such a good punt returner two or three years ago is just he was reliable, man. You knew you could count on him to catch the ball. and. Moving forward, I wouldn't be surprised if KJ is used in that role because he is more of that reliable type guy. Yeah, I mentioned the special teams errors. Something I don't think, really, I haven't seen anything out there is, is the Bubba backs a miss. I mean, it was so short. Yeah. And watching the replay, it's like, dude, he was doing, like, he hit, the, I think it was a 38 and then a 40 yarder. It was like, all right, man, backs is. Finally, the guy. I mean, I know there were some early struggles last season, and he kind of finished strong. And I was like, all right, he's a reliable kicker. And then he goes and misses that. I mean, that hurt. Right. No, it was bad. And, you know, look, if he makes that, Miami has a chance to kick a game-winning field goal in the last minute. So there's another what if. I do wonder, and again, it's I'm probably making something out of nothing, I guess. But, um, you know, obviously he had attempted a fake field goal run you know, three or four plays before that miss. I wonder if that little bit of just being fatigued and tired played any type of role in that miss. I just think it's something to think about. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got to make that no matter what. Um, very unfortunate. Conspiracy theorist. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, look, bottom line is he has to make it even if he is tired. Like, it's not an excuse. But yeah, no, I think sure. it might be an explanation. I don't know. Uh, a couple other points for things you didn't like. Miami shorthanded in the secondary. I don't really think that's Miami's fault, but four healthy scholarship cornerbacks, uh, only one who's ever really started a game. And by the way, I thought Trajan Bandy played excellent uh, after getting yeah. a chance to see him in coverage. I mean, wow, he played a great game. He was very good. But uh, Miami was playing some young guys out there, and I think that really hurt. Right. And the thing I was wondering specifically with that was, you know, just looking back to the explosive long pass when Gilbert Frierson was in coverage as the striker on Josh Hammond, who's a Florida receiver. The thing I was wondering was, OK, if you're in that situation and you have DJ Ivy available, are your matchups different? And essentially what the UM coaches were saying this week afterwards was, no, they they probably wouldn't have matched anything up differently because I think Florida attempted that pass on first down. So on first down, you're, you're essentially going to have your striker on the field instead of a third corner. Um, and they kind of said, I think they understood, like, look, Gilbert covered that as well as Gilbert could uh, because he's playing against a, a very fast receiver. They kind of put it more on Amari Carter uh, being out of position as a deep safety. So, you know, that's kind of learning and growing pains. And also, I think you tip your cap to Dan Mullen for making that play call. I think it was a really 
really aggressive, smart play call. And, you know, moving forward, look, they get DJ Ivy back. I think that's going to help their secondary, obviously. Personally, I think DJ Ivy is a better player than Al Blades. Um, So I think it will improve the cornerback room. And then also, you know, we'll see what happens with Bubba Bolden. I think uh, if he is cleared by the NCAA to play this year, um, I think that's another guy they'll rotate in maybe on at safety and, and maybe he can be a, a better coverage guy. And I don't think Amari played poorly, but on that play, he did, he was out of position. So, you know, maybe that's an opportunity for Bubba to get on the field and show what he can do. One quick thing. Uh, I, I thought Gilbert Frierson actually was pretty good and yeah, and runs the I do, I do agree. He was as going to cover that as, as good as he could have. I just want to know, would it have been different with Romeo Finley in there? I mean, I think Romeo... Maybe. Uh, I don't yeah, know. He, and remember when Romeo got called for that pass interference in the first, in the first yeah. quarter? I mean, that was Take a bad time. call. Yeah, yeah, right? No, I think, I think you could tell that during the course of that game, Mullen, Dan Mullen wanted to target the strikers. Like, he felt like he could go at them a little bit. And, you know, I think for the most part, Miami's guys stood up to that challenge. Um, again, for me personally, I think, I think you give more credit to Dan Mullen for going, for making that passing attempt, uh, at Frierson, because look, we don't see many college coordinators who will even attempt that, but Dan went for it. It ended up working. Felipe threw the best pass he threw of the night, kind of all those elements came together. And look, sometimes you just got to say like, yeah. It would be nice if Gilbert maybe covered it tighter or if Amari was two yards over and could have gotten there sooner. But ultimately, like, look, man, both teams make plays. And to me, that's a situation where Florida just made a play and it was a great call. Final thing you dislike from the game, uh, negative yardage. I'm assuming this has to do with the penalties. Uh, I don't understand. Yeah, and sacks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the sacks is... But the like the John Campbell false starts were just ridiculous. The delay of games were ridiculous, and I, I've heard different things about the play clock not being there. But Miami scrimmage there uh, six right. months ago. I mean, how did you not know where the play clocks were? Uh, but yeah, those negative plays really added up. You can go to the Al Blades middle finger over Felipe Franks. I mean, that was pretty dumb, brutal. Yeah, I mean. You know, look, it's hard to win any any football game. I think they were, what, negative? If you combine sacks and penalties, it's like negative 185 yards or something, which, I mean, there's not many teams that can overcome that. And I think we saw that play out. Uh, There was some def... Like, I think they were, for the most part, fair penalties. Like, on the Cam Harris long run, I think those were fair. Like, I do think Brevin Jordan tackled the guy, and he didn't need to but he tackled the guy to the ground and you know that nullified that along with Jeff Thomas blocking I think the Jeff Thomas block was a little ticky tack but I, I think it was fair I guess those two things took away a potential touchdown for Miami because Cam Harris got basically inside the five yard line so you know again this is a young team they're going to make those types of mistakes and hopefully they can clean them up moving forward all right, now that we're a few, I guess, days removed from this game, any additional things that you liked now that we're kind of taking a step back? I got one. Um, 
Greg Russo, man, they kind of moved him around uh, a lot. I think his sack came with him working as a three technique. Uh, he almost had another sack uh, where he couldn't get Felipe Franks to the ground. I mean, it's obviously understandable. Franks is a big quarterback, but uh, just utilizing uh, Greg in that third down package where they kind of do weird things was an interesting surprise, an interesting twist. And I- I'm hoping they do more of that moving forward. I think that's going to be a good thing for them. Yeah, I think, you know, his wingspan, his length, it really will disrupt uh, quarterbacks uh, on third down, obvious passing situations, because, you know, he's going to be able to stick his hand up there and it's going to affect things. And I think we saw it was either two or three years ago now. uh, It was when Demetrius Jackson was still healthy and and relatively able to produce. he had success in that role, too, as a defensive end that could slide inside and, and provide some pass rushing looks on third down and passing situations. So, you know, I think it's smart uh, to get more athletic on third and long. And I think overall, like Greg Rousseau played what, like 14 snaps and he still had like two quarterback pressures, according to pro football focus. And, you know, that's a very good rate. Uh, for any defensive lineman. So I'm hoping to see him on the field more moving forward. And I think we will see that. Uh, Another thing, I know we just talked about them being shorthanded in the secondary, but Florida came into this game with everyone hyping up that receiver core, you know, Trayvon Grimes, Tyree Cleveland, Van Jefferson, those guys just three catches for 37 yards on a combined five targets. I thought take away the big pass plays, the the Tooney one, which is really – a, a, a short throw and, and some missed tackles. And we talked uh, in length about this Frierson one. I mean, Frank's only threw for 123 yards. So I thought the secondary, given the fact that there was a bunch of new faces back there, played did. good. I mean, against probably one of the better passing attacks and receiving cores they're going to see. No, they did. And, and, you know, look, I said, I feel like DJ Ivy is better than Al Blades earlier in this podcast, but I do like Al Blades played fine to me. Like, I think he got called for a ticky tack pass interference, which is whatever. I mean, it's unfortunate it got called, but I think his coverage was fine, to be honest. And overall, you know, take away the Tony play, which you can't really do. But outside of that play, I think the secondary played fine. And, you know, they're going to continue to get more confident. Um, I was kind of surprised Dan Mullen didn't go at them more. Um, maybe that speaks to his confidence level in Felipe Franks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Miami secondary definitely held their own. Final thing I want to point out here, which I was, I was working on this story. Miami didn't play with four of its top 10 ranked players, according to the 247 Sports uh, composite team talent rankings. What that basically is, is uh, a ranking of your roster minus attrition. I mean, it's hard to kind of do the recruiting classes given when guys leave, guys don't qualify, guys transfer in, guys transfer out. So Miami played Florida and, and four of their top 10 guys didn't didn't play. Bubba Bolden, we, we talked about, Lorenzo Lingard, Jalen Phillips, who's sitting out this year, and, and Nesta Silvera. So Miami was a little shorthanded and I, they still, uh, I guess, put up a, a, a good fight against a team who's supposed to be a lot better than them. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I guess we know like Jalen Phillips is definitely not playing this year, so he's going to redshirt. But like Bubba Bolden, if he gets cleared, I think he's a nice addition to the secondary. He's going to help Lorenzo Lingard. You know, I'm interested to see what he looks like during the second half of the season because Uh. he (laughs) well, 
It's going to well, be interesting. I, I, we'll see how it goes. On Instagram on Wednesday night, he posted a video on his story. He's like, ah, oh, really miss having my speed. And it was like a photo, uh, it's a practice clip of him uh, running down the field on a kickoff. And I was like, ooh, what does that mean? Like, you know, that doesn't sound good if you're saying I, I miss my speed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, he's still working his way back. I think it's clear when you watch him in warm-ups or in practice, like he's still not all the way back from his knee injury from last year. Uh, but, you know, come mid-October, I would expect him to be as close to being back as he's going to be. And he does have, like, if he is close to being back to what he was, he's still going to be Miami's fastest running back on the roster, and you can do something with that. Um, so I'm interested to see what that looks like. Nesta Silvera, same, same type of thing. You know, second half of the season, you would hope he could help bolster the defensive tackle depth, which is always a good thing if, if you can do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, and and moving forward, I think you you listed this in the article, Andrew. Like on the schedule, on the remaining schedule, how does Miami compare to the team talent on the schedule that remains? I think Miami's like eighteen, and they don't face anyone who's higher than uh, like twenty six. Uh, well, so. Florida State is higher, right? But oh, I'm sorry. Besides that, yeah. besides yeah. that, it's like you know, and and this has been the storyline with Miami since they've joined the ACC, but. Look, Miami's going to be more talented than most of the teams they face, and and Especially they got to on defense. Yeah, they got to live up to that. So, all right, uh, David, I've been saving this not burning question for you, but I wasn't around uh, the program when when Brad Kaya made his first start uh, years ago. My my question for you is: You saw Jaron Williams play. Um, the numbers on him for the Florida game, the official numbers, 19 of 30, 214 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. Um, would you say this was as good of a start as Brad, Brad Kaya's first game when he started as, as a, I think he was a true freshman against Louis, number, number 24 Louisville, uh, is on, on pace for him? I, I compare him to Brad Kaya for me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so there are some contextual things that need to be thrown out there. Like, I mean, I do think it matters that Brad was a true freshman, whereas Jaron is a redshirt freshman. Um, so I think that year in a program can make a difference. Um, it is interesting that they both opened against Todd Grantham as defensive coordinator. So there's some comparisons to be made there. Uh, you know, I was looking at the pro football focus numbers from both those grades, both those games, and Brad Kaya, according to pro football focus that year, uh, was pressured seven times, whereas I think the final grades from the Florida game had Jaron Williams under pressure 25 times. So that's that's a big difference that you would you would think that Jaron you know, those numbers indicate Jaron was under pressure much more than Brad was. Um, I think, so one of the things that, that stood out to me with comparing those guys um, is I, and I'm not talking down on Brad at all, but one of the senses I got following that game was Brad kind of had more of a, a deer in headlights look to him in that game which, again, I think is totally understandable. He was a true freshman playing against a real defense and a real defensive coordinator. On the road. On the road, on the road. yeah, which, which, again, is another factor. So 
I do think he had more deer and headlights to him than Jaron did against Florida. Um, but, you know, I think Brad quickly got over that. Um, so I think Jaron, we saw him play with more poise in that first start than we saw Brad play with. And I do think, like, I mean, Brad threw two picks in that game, whereas Jaron did not throw any. I think Jaron played better um, than Brad did. Which I think is a good sign because, look, Brad was a good college quarterback. Um, he statistically, of course, is Miami's all-time leading passer. So I think, you know, you can look at that and say, okay, if Jaron can improve like Brad did improve, you got to feel good about where things are heading with Jaron. Absolutely. And I think me and you both have felt this way. You really don't know what you got in a quarterback until you kind of roll them out there. And I thought Jaron was the right choice. I mean, we had heard what the coaches were saying, um, the in, the people inside the program were saying, but you really didn't know. Uh, he could have went out there and it could have been very bad. It could have been Art Zikowski, uh, you know, two, two of 14, four picks or, or whatnot, and right. it wasn't. So I was very surprised. I think Miami, in my eyes, has its quarterback of the future. I think Bruce Feldman said that on, on his podcast. Yeah. Um, like, how can you not be excited about him? And I understand the the Dan Enos comments. You don't want this kid to get a big head. And he he obviously missed some throws here and there. There was guys running wide open. But, man, I, I, I just think he's he's the guy. Like, And I think his teammates are going to buy into that. They understand that. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting to see how this season goes. I, I, I think you have to be very optimistic. And uh, he definitely outplayed Felipe Franks. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm interested. I think it was a good first start. Am I ready to anoint him as anything special? No, but it was a good first start. As the season progresses, I want to see how he does with, you know, I'd like to see Miami open up the offense a little more, open up the passing attack a little more. And I think that's when you will see if, if Jaron is potentially a special quarterback or if he's just a, a good college quarterback, which you know, it's fine to be fine. Yeah, that is fine. If, if your defense is as good as we think Miami's defense is. So I'm just interested to see, like, how much are they going to open things up as the season progresses? I think that's just one of the interesting things to watch during this year. Jaron, I think, according to PFF, 13 for 17 for 181 yards and a touchdown when he wasn't pressured. Yeah. And if you go back and watch the tape, I mean, He's very accurate when he has time. He he finds like KJ Osborne and some windows. The touchdown pass to Brevin Jordan uh, yep. was very good. You can even go to the throws that weren't caught. Uh, the Jeff Thomas one in the quarter in the end zone. The one to Brevin Jordan. I mean, Brevin Jordan had a chance to make that play in the end zone. He just didn't come down with it. So uh, he's he's extremely accurate, and it's complete the complete opposite of what we've seen uh, really the past two years under uh, Malik Rozier uh, and Nikosi Perry. I mean, this guy is. Yeah, accurate and has arm strength. He definitely has a feel for the quarterback position, which I don't know if Nikosi or Malik had the last two years. So that's certainly a positive. You touched on the Jeff Thomas drop touchdown. I mean, when you watch that throw, it's an impressive throw, man. Like, there, I I believe there was like a, a Florida defender kind of around his feet when he threw that ball, and so Jaron wasn't quite able to step into that throw. And really, you know, get behind it like you would hope he would. But he still put that ball on the money. He used just his arm strength to get the ball 
where it needed to get and he placed it perfectly. Jeff couldn't come down with it as we already touched on, but yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. And again, I think, you know, Dan Enos of course says he needs to have better pocket posture. I think for the first game, if you look at it in that context, I think Jaron passed that test with flying colors. Now he does need to improve of course, but look, I think as a Miami fan, you got to be feeling very good about where things are right now with Jaron. He does need to continue to progress, and we'll see how that goes. Ballsy throws, man. I mean, you're throwing at C.J. Henderson, whose brother says he's already going to the NFL draft. I mean, I thought late in the game he was picking on Marco Wilson, who's probably another guy who's going to play on Sundays. Uh, I was just impressed by that confidence. Obviously, you're trying to win the contest and and start your career 1-0, but... Uh, that I think took some, not some balls, but I, I mean, to me, he wasn't scared. And I think right. that's, that's right. Big. And that's what I'm saying about comparing him and Brad. Like, I'm not saying Brad was scared, but you know, I think things were spinning a little too fast for Brad in that first game. I didn't necessarily get that sense with Jaron, um, you know, in the fourth quarter late when Florida was just pinning its ears back and rushing Jaron. You know, that's a tough situation for any quarterback to navigate, and he's got to learn how to do it moving forward. But, you know, overall, I feel like Jaron showed he belonged. With that said, given what we saw from Jaron, given what we saw from the defense, given the fight we saw uh, from the whole sideline really there in in the first half, do you think uh, this is a team that can make it to Charlotte and, and, and face up with Clemson. I'm not asking if they can beat Clemson, but do you feel better uh, than you did coming into the Florida game uh, that Miami has a chance of, of, of winning the division? I'll say cautiously better, to be honest, because to be quite frank, I think this season will boil down to how much do those offensive tackles get better? Because if they play like they did against Florida, like Miami's next games against North Carolina, right? Who was terrible last year. I get it, but they still have power five defensive linemen and they still have like their defensive coordinator. Jay Bateman was an excellent defensive coordinator at army. So he knows what he's doing. I'm sure he's going to attack those offensive tackles, put them under pressure. And look, if, if Miami is not able to block things up front, they're going to they're going to lose some games they shouldn't. And so I'm I'm very intru- like I think the fan base in general just expects a North Carolina win, which I think is fine. Like I Miami should win that game. Um but I want to see kind of a decisive win to be honest. Like I think if Miami has to struggle through and if they lose or, or win that game in a struggle, I don't think that's a very good sign to be honest. Um But yeah, I mean, look, if the offensive tackles do progress and things improve there, then Miami should win the Coastal Division. There's no doubt. Um, But I just, like I said, I'm cautiously optimistic that Miami can't, will win the Coastal. I just, I got to see it from those offensive tackles, man. Well, I guess I'm on the, on the flip side. I, I feel better about Miami's chances. And the reason why I feel better is I thought the defense was good, but I didn't uh, realize it would still be on this same level it's at. And this could be, you know, Florida, for all we know, could end up going five and seven and, and being terrible. Um, but I, I just think given what Florida's strengths were, Miami neutralized them a, a lot on defense. And 
I just think that we talked about the team uh, talent composite on 24-7 sports. Miami's going to have more dudes than anyone else uh, in these games moving forward. Tossing the fact that the Virginia Tech game's at home, the Virginia game's at home. And I, I just think this team will have a chance to, to make it to Charlotte. Uh, I think the offense is, even if it's just an ounce improved from last season, um, they're going to be a better team. And I liked a lot of what I saw out of the offense, uh, primarily on that first drive with all the shifts and stuff. I'm not really sure where that went. Um, but if they can get that, that offense going and at least score 28 points on a consistent basis, they're going to be very hard to beat. I'm with you. I, and look, I'm with you, no doubt. On paper, Miami should win, quite frankly, the rest of their games on the schedule. Um, my thing is like, I don't know, man. Like, I just want to see how the like. I'm I'm with you that Florida's defense is going to be the best defense this Miami offense will face all year. But with that being said, like, how much does that mean Miami's going to improve on offense? Like yeah. against against North Carolina, what do you feel like is a good enough point total? I mean, we got to see what North Carolina does against South Carolina, I guess. But like, how much more improvement? do you expect just in pure points against a North Carolina team? I don't know. I think they got to score 28. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I think that potential is there, but I'm not necessarily sold that 28 is like a shoe in I don't know. Right, 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 right. Well, I will say it's probably going to get easier to run the ball. And I think that was kind of one of the issues against Florida. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, once you're in those negative situations with the penalties, you can't run the ball. And I think uh, if they can get DJ Dallas going – um, and they should be able to run the ball in these other teams. I think that's going to help open up the offense a lot. Right. No, I'm with you. And and yeah, my main point in all this is I want to see what it looks like against North Carolina because I think that North Carolina game, quite frankly, is more of a true barometer of what the rest of the season is going to look like. Like, I do think, obviously, Florida is much better than any other team on Miami's schedule. So. When Miami plays a team that looks more like the rest of their schedule, I think we're going to get a better feel for what this team is going to be this year. Do you think uh, Stacy Searles is just sitting in Chapel Hill laughing <laughs> about the tackle situation he left the Hurricanes with? Well, that's the thing. Like, he's going to be able to provide, I mean, you know, a defensive coordinator is going to be able to watch film of that game and tell that, you know, these guys aren't very good right now. Um, at offensive tackle. But, you know, within that point, like Stacy Searles knows John Campbell very well. He's going to be able to tell Jay Bateman what he does real well and what he doesn't do well at all. So I think that is definitely an interesting game within the game. You're going to be, um, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to watch this North Carolina, South Carolina game on Saturday yeah, definitely. in Charlotte. Yeah, Just I'm going to, yeah, that, that's a big game. I mean, and, and honestly, that, that helps Miami in my mind. Like, if North Carolina had to play some directional school to yeah. open and, and then they could spend more time preparing just for Miami, you know, then I think this game is, is more dangerous than I guess I, I feel like it is right now. So, and look, we're going to get a good barometer of what North Carolina is too in that opener. Like, South Carolina should definitely win that game easily, just like Miami should win that game against North Carolina easily. Um, and yeah, you know, North Carolina is going to have a true freshman at quarterback, uh, first game of Mac Brown being back. 
there's definitely some things they're going to have to work through. Um, and it's, but with that being said, like North Carolina's offense, I think is going to be exciting from a schematic standpoint. I alluded to the fact that I think their defensive coordinator is a stud. So there is some dangerous elements to North Carolina. Um, but yeah, it's year one there and, and they certainly need to upgrade the talent at certain spots and, and we'll see what they got on Saturday. Uh, bye week number one of three for you, David. What uh, what do you got on tap? What's 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 the plans besides watching North Carolina, South Carolina? In case Manny calls and asks for your uh, <laughs> yeah. breakdown. Yeah, um, you know I, I I'm gonna enjoy watching college football because you know we work we work on Saturday and we can't really watch many games other than the Miami game that we're covering. So I'm kind of looking forward to just being a fan, nerding out to college football this weekend. Probably going to grill, probably hope and pray the hurricane (laughs) turns north and just goes to uh, the North Pole, you know. So, yeah, it's just going to be a relaxing weekend, you know, when uh, I know people don't care. But like when you open with a, a big time game, game one, like Miami did with Florida, it makes things more fun to cover, certainly during camp, but it also makes things more intense, more stressful. So. I'm kind of looking forward to a chill weekend. Same. I mean, I had it was. I, I thought it was a lot of fun to cover that game in uh, Orlando. Like it was yeah. the, the, from being on the field, just shooting photos and the, and the emotional swings. Yeah, I, yeah. I've talked to a lot of people just kind of in passing in the past week, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this game was so bad." I'm like, "Is this just some take you feel the need to say that it was a bad football game? Like it was a close football game with, with swings. Like if you were there, I mean, it was. Oh yeah, it was well, entertaining. Well worth yeah, exactly. It was like, it was fun. I had fun. So, right. And I think, look, both defenses are good. So that's going to happen when two good teams play each other in week one and the defenses are good. You know, you're going to see that type of play. And I don't know. I, I thought it was funny after the game when a lot, when some national writers were saying they should abolish the week zero game, like, like they're presuming that there was less preparation than there is for a week one game. Like, they moved yeah. the start of camp back a week. I mean, it's the same amount of preparation. It's just this is what college football is when two big time teams play in week one. Like they don't, they don't get a preseason, so they're gonna have to work some kinks out in that game. And, and I'm with you. Like the game was super entertaining, fun to watch, fun to cover. Um, I wish the result was a little different, but it is what it is, and we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Well, they're they're definitely gonna be doing week week zero games moving forward. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I mean, most watched game since 2016 on ESPN. Like this is this is dead. Yeah, and look, like we're gonna see week one games that are just as sloppy. Like it, the week zero thing is a non-factor with how sloppy it was. It's it's just it's kind of how it goes in college football when two real teams play each other in that first week. Uh, you got a best bet for this weekend? I know we don't. No don't. Miami game. You don't. I have haven't best looked. Bet. No, do you? Have you looked? I haven't looked at anything like that. Who do you like? Of course I like. Uh, well, I've been trying to find a first half line on Alabama. I want to take first half Alabama <laughs> minus whatever, because I think this line is going to get pushed out of the way, given all the injuries they got. So I'm, I'm, I think I think Saban and them are just going to run right through them. And last year I took Alabama in like the week one. Uh, who were they playing like Louisville in, um in Orlando? And that, that line, they covered that by like 20 points. So I'm, wow. I'm all over the Bama train. All right, I want to ask you, have, do you know the Florida State line? 
Oof, no, I don't. I, I, I'm pulling it up. You ready? <laughs> yeah. I want your hot take. All right, so we got Florida State, Boise State. Uh, right now, Florida State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't know, man. I don't know. I honestly I, I, think Florida State will handle them. We'll see. I'm kind if of they a, don't, it's going to be concerning. I'm kind of a believer in Kendall Bryles and his offense. I think they'll get it together on that side of the ball. I'm not necessarily convinced with Florida State's defense yet, um, like in terms of being a Florida State-level defense. Um, but I think they should be able to pull away from Boise late, more than four and a half. But with that being said, I thought, uh, I thought Florida was going to cover the spread, and they didn't, so shows what I know. Absolutely. Hey, the under hit in that game. It did. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's uh, episode of Through the Smoke. Uh, make sure you guys are staying safe out there if you do live in the state of Florida. It seems like the cone of uh, concern is the entire state. So uh, yeah. we'll be back next week previewing the um, North Carolina game. I'm going to have a bunch of recruiting stuff here up on the site over the next, uh, I guess, few days. So you can find that at miami.247sports.com. David, anything from you? Just stay safe out there if you live in the state of Florida with this hurricane. You know, take it seriously and, and hopefully everyone stays safe. And, you know, hopefully this thing is not a big deal. See you next time, guys. Take care.